Welcome to the NFT video mini-series presented by StockTwits. I'm one of the hosts for this series, Jacob, and I'm the co-founder of the NFT card game Duo. We are super excited to be partnering with StockTwits to bring you this educational series all about NFTs. So let's jump into the video. Thank you for joining us for another video in our NFT mini series with Jason, the founder of Duo. And today we're gonna to be diving into uh, kind of this question of what are the different NFT chains and what makes them different? So Jason, just really quickly, what are some of the different chains where I can find NFTs and um, maybe let's see what kind of those differences are. Well, I think a lot of people have heard about Ethereum in the past. Definitely and the biggest. Yes, it's certainly the biggest one out there. And maybe people think that the only place they can get NFTs is on the Ethereum blockchain. But we need to dive into this idea of a layer one blockchain. So okay. kind of like what is a layer one blockchain and which ones exist out there? So very simply, a layer one blockchain is a blockchain that uses uh, security and consensus to agree upon some kind of transaction and then has smart contracts that allow you to create these assets that you can transfer across the blockchain right so ethereum was the first one to do this but there have been others that have come up since then and are there any layer two blockchains where we can get nfts or is it strictly layer one there are layer two blockchains um, a lot of the layer two focus is geared around how do we make a layer one more efficient so since Ethereum was first, they've struggled over the years as that technology has grown older compared to some of the new Gen 3 blockchains that have come out. Um, and as that happens, it opens up this market and this opportunity for layer two blockchains. So like Polygon would be an example of a layer two blockchain. So you've mentioned that the layer uh, one blockchains and then some generation three blockchains. Yeah. So I'm guessing that that's kind of what you're talking about with uh, these other layer ones? Yeah, so um, Bitcoin was the first, right? So Bitcoin was the first blockchain, kind of set all of this into, um, into motion. And then Ethereum brought in smart contracts and they were the generation two blockchain. And a significant amount of time has passed since Ethereum has gone live with those smart contracts. And now we're kind of in this era of generation three blockchains. So this is everything from the Binance smart chain, uh, Cardano, Solana is a good example, uh, Algorand, Avalanche, there's all of these different generation three blockchains that have smart contracts and are taking a different approach at scalability so they can be uh, faster and also reach more users with very little gas fees. So I can put an NFT on, on Ethereum, layer two, or a gen two blockchain, um, or I could put an NFT on one of these generation three blockchains, what are some of the key differences between some of these different blockchains that you've mentioned? Yeah, so I, I think it's helpful to go down and kind of four criteria that I use uh, to analyze what, what kind of blockchain do I wanna get into an NFT project on? And I think that's really helpful for a lot of people getting started. So the first one is scalability. Mm -hmm. I think looking at any layer one solution, so any blockchain that's running smart contracts where you can buy NFTs, look at the scalability. So how fast can you transact that NFT and how many people can be transacting all at the same time? Oftentimes this is referred to as transactions per second. Now Solana has been known as one of the fastest and most powerful 
in that regard. But it's important to remember that there are trade-offs for having a, a fast transaction time um, because you also want to have security and consensus as well. Well, and that's kind of been Solana's call to the NFT community, and they've actually grown quite a big NFT community over on Solana as well. Yeah, absolutely. So beyond the the, the transaction speed per second, uh, what are some of the other things that you might look for? So beyond scalability, the kind of the next thing that I dive into is actually what is the consensus mechanism? Or oftentimes the reason I'm looking at this is what kind of gas fees am I gonna end up paying? Um, so you may have heard of the gas fee horror stories where you're paying hundreds of dollars in gas fees or thousands of dollars in gas fees for a 10 or $20 NFT. And this is primarily uh, happening on the Ethereum blockchain. It's, a, it's an older blockchain. They use a different consensus method, which, act, which is actually still proof of work. So this is where miners are actually taking your transaction and adding it to the blockchain. And since there are only so many miners with so much power in their mining rigs, um, they demand a premium for your transaction going in ahead of somebody else's. So it's kind of this bidding war to uh, what is the highest gas fee that people are willing to pay to get their transaction in. So those blockchain fees have been astronomical for some people. I know that I've heard the stories, I've experienced some of that. You're saying that some of these generation three blockchains are actually uh, a, a bit lower in price compared to Ethereum's gas fees. Yeah, and the primary reason for that is that there is a proof of stake model that's used for consensus. And, and people may have heard of proof of work versus proof of stake. Really, it's just how do your transactions get added to that public ledger, that blockchain? and for the Gen 3 blockchains, um, most if not all of them use a form of proof of stake uh, to do that. And what that means is your gas fees are significantly lower. So for example, if you wanna buy an NFT on Cardano or even Algorand, like you may only pay cents uh, for that transaction. Now there is, there is a value to gas fees uh, within those. So you still wanna pay something because if you don't pay anything, it incentivizes people to attack the network. It incentivizes them to spam the network with new tokens. If it doesn't cost them anything to add a new token onto the network, then they may just fill up all of the transactions with crap, right? Spam. It's yeah. like, imagine your inbox can only take so many emails and all of a sudden someone just decides to send you, uh, fill up your inbox all the time. And so gas fees do have a valuable purpose. So there's a balance where, hey, if I'm paying 50 cents for an NFT, that means I could sell an NFT for a couple of dollars instead of, well, I know that somebody has to pay $100 in gas fees, I'm probably gonna be trying to sell that NFT for a thousand or $10,000. So everything that you're saying here, it makes sense, but it's all making me think, I wanna buy NFTs and make NFTs on one of the generation three blockchain. So is there any reason to look at Ethereum? I mean, I've heard their name, like that's where I was going first. Why would I ever think about Ethereum? Yeah, there's actually a really strong and compelling reason to choose Ethereum for NFTs. Number one, it's by far and away the most mature market. So understanding where the liquidity or the amount of NFTs that can be transacted or traded uh, is very important. So it's kind of the decision of, do I go down to Walmart where I can kind of buy everything and anything, or do I go to that one Asian bazaar space to find the specialty cardamom spice that I'm looking for, right? 
And I think that this is where people look at Gen 3 blockchains and, and want to have more diversity and more variety in NFTs there. And that's where a lot of creators are starting to move to create this value because the barrier to entry is, is far less and they can have their own unique projects on these generation three blockchains. Whereas in Ethereum, they would have to compete against a large swath of very popular and very expensive NFTs. So I don't think that Ethereum NFTs are going away anytime soon. And I think what we may start to see over the next few years is people actually try and transfer Ethereum based NFT projects over to these generation three blockchains mm -hmm. if Ethereum can't move to proof of stake fast enough, which they may still do that. I think they're trying, right? Yep, that's right. So what about the security of these different blockchains that we have? I know you, Ethereum's first, they've got so many. Like, is that Does that make them the most secure blockchain for NFTs? Kind of what does that look like when you're looking at the security of the smart contracts for these NFTs? Yeah, and this is kind of my fourth pillar, the fourth way that I look at or judge these blockchain projects and then the NFT projects that are on top of these blockchains which is smart contract security. There's a lot of different vectors to security. It's a big, messy thing. And yeah. so just like cybersecurity on your phone or on the internet in general, um, blockchains are no different. Uh, I think the most important thing to remember is if you have a relatively new smart contract or a new generation three blockchain, there's not gonna be as many developers who have worked to build a robust security protocol or just security standards within that blockchain. Mm -hmm. So arguably, there's many ways that Ethereum is a very secure blockchain because of the, the dominance that they have within developers. Now, I think that that's starting to shift and change as a lot of these developers have an easier time developing on generation three blockchains. And so I think this is where you're gonna start to see a shift into some of the more secure underlying coding languages like Plutus and Haskell in the Cardano ecosystem, or if you go over to Algorand, you have uh, a lot of new ways to create security because of their proof of stake mechanism. Mm -hmm. So right now it's kind of weighted maybe towards Ethereum. So that's probably the most secure place for these NFTs, but maybe not always going to be that case, that way. Well, and it's, it's always how well is the code written by the developer who writes that smart contract. So I think a big piece of it is it, you want to have open source or completely public and auditable smart contracts. And so when you start to see NFT mm -hmm. projects that uh, maybe try and hide their smart contract or don't make that available for other developers to audit, that's a really big red flag because they could hide something in that that's going to automatically execute in the background and you don't know what that could be. That goes back to what we were saying about buying an NFT and when to buy an NFT. Definitely want to make sure you know where that's coming from and what that looks like. So when you explore those smart contracts for that kind of security aspect, um, where is it that I could look to find those, those nuances and make sure that I'm aware of that? Yeah, so this is where it starts to get really complex and you may end up having to trust more technical people or developers in the ecosystem giving you good signals. So if they're not working for the team, but yet they're still participating and buying in, like there's, amount, there's an amount of community trust that has continued to be built up from that. Mm. So that's why get into the Discord channels, talk to people, get some information that's beyond just your own understanding of smart contracts, even if you're a fantastic developer. Um, but there's tools out there that are used oftentimes it's like Etherscan 
websites or Binance Smart Chain or BSB Scan, uh, Cardano Scan, Solana Scan. Uh, there are these different websites. It's basically the, the blockchain name and then the word scan um, <laughs> that allows you to see all the transactions that are happening and even link back to a specific NFT project smart contract. Mm. And that's where you can see the smart contract and you can audit it. Who, where did it come from? What's the history of it? How many NFTs has it created? So you can actually verify in real time if somebody says they're selling 10,000 NFTs and they say they've sold 9,000 of them, you can verify in real time that they have actually sold that many. And I think that's part of what the beauty of this decentralized world with the blockchain, everything being open and public record, uh, that's really the beauty of it and the power of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps prevent, I mean, it's another form of security that openness prevents scammers, prevents bad actors from trying to manipulate or hype people into a specific action. Yeah. And so I think that understanding that level of transparency and learning that is really valuable for anyone trying to get involved in NFTs. So really quickly as we wrap this up, uh, give me a very quick breakdown of just how you would choose a blockchain and some of the differences. Yeah, so for full transparency, I'm quite involved in the Cardano blockchain. Uh, I value that because of its open source nature. It's very easy to, to see what's happening within that. But they also have a unique way and a unique approach to NFTs, which doesn't actually involve smart contracts. It uses the core fundamental uh, technology behind the Cardano native token in order to create NFTs. Hmm. So whatever the Cardano native token has, the NFTs also can have as well, which makes it way more robust in my mind from a security perspective. Interesting. Um, I, I also like some of the other blockchain projects like Solana. It allows you to um, access high volumes or, or big launches of NFTs very quickly. Um, that is one downside to the Cardano NFT launches I've been a part of. Um, the network can still get bogged down and you cannot have uh, you can have NFT transactions that clear 30, 40 minutes later, or even later that day, versus Solana, it might clear in a few seconds. So no Ethereum NFTs then for you? I don't currently own any Ethereum NFTs, but mostly that's been uh, because I've been interested in the newer technology. Now, I think Ethereum has a fantastic community of NFT holders, and there's a, a ton of my friends who hold Ethereum NFTs. and. I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I'm a little jealous that I didn't get into some of those board ape mints because that would have been a ton of fun to have a, uh, a monkey, even if it was just with laser eyes uh, on my Twitter profile. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. So ultimately, I think that there's a ton of differences in all of these different technologies. Um, as always, like you gotta just dig, do your research, dig in, find out what you value the most and what's important to you um, when you're choosing one of those blockchains. Yeah, and if you want the largest ecosystem and the most robust level of, of NFTs, and you're willing to pay high gas fees, by all means, I think Ethereum is the way to go. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. And we'll get, see you all in our next video in our NFT mini-series as we continue to explore this new world of investing in NFTs.